Hi everybody, welcome to Pensions in 10 with me, David Brooks, and my colleague Simon Q. This week, we give our views on pot for life. We also look at changes down at the regulator in Brighton and tax being taxing. Dave, pot for life is in the news and that doesn't mean an endless supply of an illegal narcotic. Do you want to talk us through what that is, please? Yes, of course. Um, so on Wednesday, Last, the um, DWP's uh, consultation on Pot for Life, as we can, we'll, we'll call it for, for, for time, closed. And so that's been in the news all week with everyone talking about the pros and the cons of um, a Pot for Life model. So this is on the background of um, ending the proliferation of small pots. And from this, a solution has emerged where perhaps we allow people to have a pot for life. And so that means they don't have multiple pots through all the employers of their, their working life. They have one pot and wherever they go, that pot follows them. So there's been say, lots of wailing and gnashing of teeth about this. So I just wanted just to give give my sort of take on it, or our take on it um, at, at this stage. So I want to be clear what we're talking about, because one of the things is there's been lots of people who are confused about what they're talking about. And I think that's probably true. Um, although some people have, have issues with it and they're legitimate, but some people are confused. So I want to start small. I'm not going to talk about all the options. I want to start small. So we're just talking about saying, saying to, to people, Okay, so your employer will auto roll you into something, but if you want, you can choose your own pot alongside, tell your employer those details and off you go. That's the choice we're talking about introducing to the system. I think it has merit, but also there are a few red flags to me that will need to be addressed if we were to introduce this system. The first one is around member protection. I think you introduce choice, that's there's risk and there's risk of bad decisions. So we need to create a system that um, maybe restricts that choice. So people are restricted to, to schemes that would qualify as an auto-enrollment pot, perhaps must trust only maybe, uh, not just any old SIP or SAS or whatever they've got, because there'd be monsters, you know, there'd be scams, and that's what we're all worried about. And then we'd have to ramp up some regulatory oversight on that as well and how those things are marketed and everything else. Employers will be interested in this. I think some employers will like this if it takes the weight off them, you know, especially smaller employers that might deal with um, uh, sort of temporary staff or people that come and go quite quickly. They might think, OK, if I don't have to set up a pension scheme and they'll look after themselves, that's great. So they might like it. Of course, alarm bells are, are ringing because payroll providers will be thinking, well, how are we going to do this? You know, paying off pensions to loads of different people. And that brings into the idea of a clearinghouse how we set that up, maybe, or if we can do it through a system. These are big, these are probably the biggest issues is how you actually make it work at the employer end. The coverage, so how many people are actually going to do this? I don't think that many. I think maybe five, 10% would be very good. So we're trying to rebuild this system for very few people. And I think that's where, for me, some alarm bells are, are ringing. Will it increase engagement in pensions? Possibly. You know, we might have people competing, um, so firms competing for people to invest. So we might see more adverts on the television, more people talking about pensions. But is that really going to happen? I'm sceptical. I'm always sceptical about engagement being used when pensions and that increasing. So regulatory oversight, which I've already mentioned, we'd need to wrap that up. So we would need to make sure that the regulators, FCA and TPR, are on this. So I think I don't hate the idea. I have just got loads of worries about what we're doing and what are we actually, what is the problem we're trying to solve? Are we taking a problem that was designed to solve a, a small pot solution, a small pots problem, which we already have some ideas on that on the go, or is it trying to solve something else? Are we extrapolating this too far? So 
I'll be interested to see where DWP goes. I think they'll continue looking at it, but we've got dashboards, we've got VFM, we've got DCT decumulation going on. There's lots going on in DC space already. And I don't know, I think there might be enough already, but I'm just trying to give this an even-handed look and an open-minded look. And I am open-minded about it, so I'm, I'm, I'll be engaged with the conversations going forward, I think. As, as we said when this was first announced, Dave, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but this is the, the lifetime provider model, yeah. which is, yep. is very different from Potfollow's member, which is, is a yep. suggestion that's been made already. Mm. Um, if the contribution levels aren't sufficient, quite frankly, it doesn't really matter where it is because there's, there's not enough in there to, to do something with. And we, we did say as well that the, the number of members that actually want to be actively engaged, and you touched on it there, 5 to 10 percent, I think 10 percent is pretty generous. Uh, but that's just off the top of my head. I've got nothing to back that up before anyone jumps down my throat. Um, I, I It's just a, a gut feel that not many people will want to do it. Mm. So is it worth changing the entire system just to have the vast majority of people going into what effectively will be a default? Probably not. Is it worth all the, all the cost? The time and, and, and effort going into it, perhaps not. I tell you what's really ticked me off this week, though, Dave, and, and you're going to tell me off for being crabby. And I should uh, apologise to everyone because this is another one we're recording on a Friday evening. And and the last time we did it on a Friday evening, Dave told me that I was I was I was a bit snippy. He wondered what had got into me. <laughs> But I'm all for debate and I think we need more of it. We need more innovation in pensions. We need more discussion. and It should be open and free discussion, uh, a fair exchange of views. But when some people on one side of this argument, the, the, and it is people that are for Pot for Life, um, are accusing others of, uh, what was it, willful ignorance, uh, I think it was, and vested interests. That really, really ticks me off. Socrates said, when the debate is lost, slander becomes the tool of the loser. And I'm getting a sniff of it here. And I don't think it's right. We should be able, as I said, to have free, open debate, both sides coming together and looking at the, the, the problem, as you say, what are we trying to fix? Rather than just sitting in your own camp and going, well, I'm right and everyone else is wrong, so they must be stupid. I don't think that's fair. Um, and I really hope that the DWP and the pensions minister encourage debate from both sides of the argument rather than just listening to what appears to be the squeaky wheel. OK, Simon, so there are changes down at Brighton. Tell us more. Indeed, and they don't involve the peer uh, for a change. Uh, Nicola Parrish, the executive director of Frontline Regulation, is leaving after 16 years. I had the pleasure of working with Nicola back in uh, my dim and distant past, so near the start of uh, Nicola's career at the regulator. Uh, she's been a, a key person in shaping how the regulator enforces regulatory policy. So it'll be interesting to see. There is an interim, uh, Mel Charles, AE director, uh, is stepping in, but it will be it will be interesting to see who gets the role on a full time basis and how and if they want to change how the regulator enforces their policies. Dave, the tax man cometh or indeed tax woman cometh. What's the tax man <laughs> or woman coming after now? Tax. Well, no, actually, they're giving some back. So this is a story that comes around every quarter. So we haven't touched on it yet. But I wanted to because it winds me up. So this is a situation where if you take uh, benefits from a DC scheme flexibly, you have to pay the tax up front and then you write to the, the HMRC and they pay it back to you 30 days later or, or whatever. So we get these quarterly reports. Um, so this one, the headline figure is 38 million they pay back in respect to payments between October and uh, the end of December. 
that's down a bit on the, on the year. But that, overall, since freedoms came in in 2015, that's 1.2 billion they repaid to people that have been overtaxed. And the and the, the the process is just ridiculous. It's ridiculous that people have to pay too much tax in the first place and have to reclaim it. Um, a friend a friend of mine from the world of Twitter and whatnot, Tom Selby, AJ Bell, talks about this every quarter. He's a frequent flyer in this story, but he is equally frustrated and describes this as a depressingly arcane um, system. You know, we're worried about people that uh, who aren't used to the self-assessment process, who aren't used to, to engaging the HMRC, perhaps not even being aware they need to reclaim this this tax and are missing out. And it's, it's it's crazy that after nearly 10 years of pension freedoms, we're still doing it this way. Um, so it needs to be fixed. It needs to be a, a better way to make sure that people pay the right tax at the right time rather than paying over tax and reclaiming. So I'm lending my weight behind Tom's frequent calls to sort this out. Well, that's it for another week of Pensions in 10 with me, Simon Q, and my colleague, Dave Brooks. Thanks so much for watching or indeed listening via your podcast provider. We're now on Spotify and the Apple one and probably others. So please tune in again next week and we look forward to seeing you then. Thank you.